in meditation, what's happening in the brain, because a lot of people think that meditation is about like checking out. And that to me couldn't, couldn't be any further from the truth. Like it's about totally checking in. And when we totally check in and we're really, really present, it's, it's such a different state of awareness and consciousness than what we move through most of the day. So when we sit and we're just paying attention to the breath, as you were saying, like maybe with just fundamental, basic, not necessarily easy, but fundamental uh, mindfulness of paying attention to the breath. And with each breath in and out, the attention is slowly kind of letting go of all of the, the trappings That was Daryl Jones. Hey everyone, welcome back to Seeker and Sage. My name is Danny Pomploon and I am your host. I'm coming at you with episode 138 today. And today I've got Daryl Jones on the show. Uh, Daryl Jones and I recently just uh, met because I am in a teacher training right now, specifically for meditation. So I've been meditating. I mean, I don't know how long I've been meditating for since forever. Uh, but specifically, you know, I come from a yoga background and this meditation training is uh, not just a yoga background, but a more Buddhist principle uh, background. Um, and it's cool because I honestly thought going into this training that I was going to know most of these things. And the truth is I've learned so much in just two small, quick sessions. And uh, it's been really good given the circumstances of the world, but being able to provide this knowledge to others of you know being able to get grounded uh, being able to observe yourself and being able not to let uh, your thoughts control you it's been quite interesting so daryl's one of the facilitators um, on the staff and i he's just a wealth of knowledge he's a super cool guy super chill um, another friend of mine had, had told me about this uh, training and, and daryl specifically so i had to dig in and do a little research and i'm so glad that i did uh, we get into a little bit about mindfulness meditation practice, but Daryl really demystifies a lot of it and breaks it all down for y'all. So I found this conversation super, super, super chill. You, uh, super chill. And speaking of super chill, you should actually go check out the people over at Chill Anywhere. They've got a cool little app um, and they also do a bunch of trainings um, and workshops online as well. I highly recommend them. I, I do love them a lot. It's been a great experience so far in the training. Um, just in case y'all have forgot, the Soul Reset Challenge is happening on October 12th. 20 days of meditation, pranayama, and restorative yoga. Um, I just feel like we all need it. I know I personally need it, so that's why I'm offering it uh, this time around. I don't get to do the retreat that I normally do this year for it. So it's 100% free. It's going to be on my app. You can go to the app now and sign up under the more tab. Um, if you don't have the app, download it. The podcast is also now in the app. And uh, yeah, if you love the podcast, head over to the iTunes store, leave us a review, uh, give the love because we love you. And uh, yeah, let's get to it. Here goes episode 138 with Daryl Jones. Hope you all enjoy this. Daryl Jones, what's going up, brother? I am so happy to be uh, hanging out with you today. I know. I, well, normally I get to hang out with, so far I've got to hang out with you a couple of times because I am in teacher training with, you are facilitating the teacher training that I'm in. Yes. This is an opportunity though for us to chit chat and not so much be in content download, a little bit more of a dialogue. I'm excited about that. 
I have to tell you though, um, you know, I, I have been, I mean, I've been meditating since forever, you know, I'm sure I've been doing it for a long time without knowing how to do it. As you kindly explained to us this last session, how you pretty, you kind of meditate almost all the time, but even in just these two sessions, um, and I have, I'm totally going to tell myself here, I'm not a good student. <laughs> just gonna, we, we just agreed that we're having a casual conversation, but wait, why, why do you say you're not a good student? I don't do homework. Well, I don't do reading. Well, I have this whole, like, you know, made up dialogue in my head. I didn't go to school till I was in third grade. And then I dropped out of high school. So the educational system just really didn't do anything. Like I, I wasn't in it long enough to like, you know, kind of. I wasn't in it long enough. Yeah. And um, so like, even when I first did my, like my first teacher training as a yoga teacher, I was the worst. I mean, <laughs> half the time I would show up stoned. The other half of the time I wouldn't pay attention. I would fall asleep. Like I just was, I was that guy. And, uh, and uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm typically, I don't tend to be a very traditional learner. Mm-hmm. Now that being said, I do have, you know, like I, I'm definitely street smart and all that fun stuff, but I, uh, I was just telling, you know, I was in San Diego this last weekend with a couple of friends and we were out by a pool hanging out and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like reading. And they're like, that's a thick ass book. And it was a uh, full catastrophic living. Uh-huh. And I have to say, man, like I not only have done my homework, but I've annotated stuff and I've never done that. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's, I know, right? <laughs> true, true confessions of Danny Pomploon. It's been cool because you know, here I am, I'm a yoga teacher for, you know, 10 years or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I know what I'm doing, yada, yada, yada. And I'm coming into this, you know, meditation teacher training and, and never coming in with the attitude of like, oh, well, I know this stuff. So I, I was actually just really, um, I always come in looking at facilitation as a facilitator. I'm always like, it's in real time. I'm literally dissecting what people are doing. Um, but also, you know, the the conversation that we first had about having a beginner's mindset was so important. And I've learned so much in these two sessions in this teacher training that I kind of, not that I was doing it wrong. I just have like a different level of awareness, a di- not a different level of respect, but maybe a different level of respect for what I was doing and how I was doing it and how you personally, you know, have facilitated it in such a meaningful way. Well, thank you. You know, I, I feel, so I have a, a long history of um, loving education. That doesn't necessarily mean, as you were saying, that I was necessarily the best student, but I have loved learning most of my life. Sometimes it's been about meditation and things along those lines, but oftentimes it's been other um other topics. And I, I have some very strong opinions about learning and in particular, our traditional education system that I feel sets a lot of people up for disappointment and failure. And not that they don't have the ability to learn, but there's this standard of, you know, just like success for one person looks different than success for another person in the style or the way that someone learns. I mean, if you've done any traditional educational, there's kinesthetic learners that need to move. There are auditory learners that need to hear. There's people that need to verbalize things. Um, There's all these different ways of assimilating information. And, you know, I too experienced the same, um, the same thing. I always felt like, oh my gosh, I didn't read that. 
Um, but I took really good notes. I would listen in class and I would assimilate a lot of the information that was needed to take a test or to have a dialogue or to write a paper or whatever it was. But the thing that's so awesome in terms of what you're sharing about reading and annotating is my experience has been that a lot of different traditions, you know, you paraphrase this idea, but when, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, right? And so much of our education is not about if we're ready, it's this is the path that you should do. And so especially in our adult years, but sometimes it happens when we're, we're kids, but especially in our adult years, I have found when I step into an educational experience, regardless of the content, if it's something that I've chosen and I'm excited about, I show up in a way that is just brilliant. I mean, sometimes I still don't read, you know, the cover to cover of a book um, for whatever the study may be, but the way that I engage with it is very different. And to me, that points a little bit to mindfulness, um, you know, paying attention to the present moment in a particular way. It's hard to do that unless you want to, or, or you um, make some sort of uh, energized effort, not that it needs to be a struggle, but so much of our learning is um, and being invited to pay attention, but we have no purpose for it, right? I'm just thinking of myself in fifth grade, the first time that my parents were called in because the teacher was like, you know, your son is not, you know, a bad student, but he's just kind of like silly and goofy and he's not paying attention and he's disrupting the class. And I wasn't trying to be a jerk about anything. I was just kind of bored. And so I was being quote unquote forced into this learning situation and there wasn't any purpose behind it for me. So it became very challenging for me to pay attention on purpose. Um, and so the conditions, although they don't have to be a certain way, because um, I come from a, a background that is more spiritually and philosophically based, which sometimes can be a little theoretical and, and removed from the 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 physical world and what's happening in our life. But it's based in this principle that we don't need um, like the universe, God, spirit, whatever language may work for you. We have everything that we need. There is a law that wants to create with us. If we partner with it, we can, you know, co-create something amazing. Um, and a lot of times I think we are not in a co-creative mode. We are reacting to the world. Um, and feeling that it's happening to us as opposed to us, you know, uh, living and working with it. And in the educational realm, so much of it is at us, right? And um, so I'm just, as a long-winded response to that, it makes me very happy to hear that, that this training has come into your, um, your life at a time when you're just kind of like in the flow with it and it doesn't feel like this thing that's being placed upon you. Um, I think that makes it yeah, and it's what's 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 super interesting about it as well as you know there's so many different aspects of you know the mindfulness practice that that I had no idea about you know here I, I, again like I was saying here I thought that I was you know doing it or not that I was doing it wrong but I just didn't realize that there was much more substance to it outside mm -hmm. of like you know sitting down and quieting and you know give your Give your brain give your brain something to do and call it a day kind of situation you know so that you have a pause but it's right. it's now even been i mean i you know 
let, let, I'll go for it. I'm going I'm to sell it really hard here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's transformed me. Everyone go do this now. No, but really it's, it's given me like in the two, you know, in the two different, uh, the, 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 the two different, um, like the first two chapters that we've read out of Buddha's brain had like completely, I, I've read that book years ago for a training and I re- reread it again. And like you said, you're, you know, when you're ready, you're ready. And this time as I'm reading it again, I'm like, Oh God, like I get it now. I think I, I think I maybe saw the words on the pages beforehand. Yeah. But now I actually underst- understand what the words are doing. Yeah. Daryl, I'm going to just really quick, I'm going to throw us off track and remind me, what was your, your master's wasn't something so cool. I forgot what it was. Ah, um, it's a master's in consciousness studies. Oh my God. Let's, <laughs> can we have another podcast just on that? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so how did you, you know, chill was a space that was based in Chicago. You know, it was, a, it was, a, you know, for, for, a, for a while before Corona, I started to notice that meditation spaces were, you know, popping up. Uh, as the, as a thing and then obviously corona came around and you know fucked a lot of things up for for a lot of us myself yeah. included yeah and y'all decided to you know move everything online which i think is brilliant and you know i i can't even recall how many times i've said this on this podcast but so many people need this right now and yeah. we don't have to make meditation sexy anymore you know right. we don't have to make yoga sexy anymore people are literally banging on the door being like mm-hmm. i need something mm-hmm. you know i i need this help when when you uh you know when you look at the 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 generalization of mindfulness how do you make it digestible to someone well um i, I it's one of my favorite questions. I mean, the whole reason that chill came about and that I actually joined it was, um, the, the founder and owner, she was not, and is not a a meditation, uh, facilitator. Although I think after three years of working in the business, she could probably do an excellent job of facilitating, um, a meditation if she wanted to, but she, you know, was a self-proclaimed capitalist here in Chicago. Trading in the market is a huge industry, and she worked in um, trading. She worked as a hedge fund manager, and through her med- or her yoga practice, was getting introduced to yoga, and was like, "Man, here I am in my power suit. I mean, very traditional corporate gear, getting stressed out by the nature of my work." And I want to find a place that I can go and sit in the middle of the day and not have to, you know, get out of my gear and put on yoga pants and, you know, you know, set a chime and burn some incense and pray to a deity or bow to the guru or whatever it may be. And not that those things are bad. Those are very specific ways of embracing the traditions that are connected to the practice of meditation. She was looking for something that was a little bit more secular. And, um, me personally, coming from a background with a master's in consciousness studies, where it's looking at the world's religions, but also like psychology and sociology, um, even a little bit of like playing with quantum physics theory, um, not that we were like splitting atoms, but looking at the theory behind it, all of these systems around the world that people have been trying to um, better understand what in the hell is happening as they spin around you know, the, the, the universe. They're all just systems um, based upon culture, based upon history, based upon so many different things. But at the 
if you look at at, at the, the, the way that all of these traditions work, not so much in what they believe, even in the scientific world, there's a moment of pause, right? You don't just go into a laboratory and start throwing a bunch of things into a beaker or you'll blow it up. You don't just... Boring. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to blow stuff up, but... Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> but in terms of like, you know, furthering something, you know, if you're really trying to study something, get results, some information, you have to have some idea of what you're doing into it, right? You have to have purpose. You have to have intention. And to have a clear intention, to have a clear, clear purpose, you have to pause for a moment and kind of contemplate. And to me, that's a form of meditation. I doubt most, you know, laboratory scientists would call themselves mindful meditators, but they are in, in practice um, doing the exact same thing that someone who is, you know, a mystic Christian or um, a, a Sufi uh, Muslim or a Kabbalist, you know, a, a Jewish practitioner that are a little bit more mystical in this contemplative space of looking. And, you know, the, the result of engaging in that practice even if it's just stopping and pausing in the middle of your workday, which is what our owner, Laura, was looking for, does something to afford that nervous system shift where we go from that kind of fight, flight, fix work mode into a restore, a digest, a rest space. And I love that you say it doesn't need to be sexy because I feel like on some level up until Corona, that was one of the things that um, it, it wasn't so much that chill was trying to like, over the top make itself sexy, but our intention and mission was to really bring these sometimes a little lofty, um, heady ideas of mindfulness and just bring it into the mainstream world and make it practical because it's something, as you said, everybody needs, whether Corona is in effect or it's just the, you know, the regular, I'm using air quotes right now, the regular stresses of our lives. Uh, it's a practice that just allows your your body and your innate intelligence of your of your uh, health to function at its best. But there aren't, and there weren't a lot of places that were doing that. And um, so that's what brought Chill forward. And I was looking for something. Um, I was looking for a way of bringing it out of that kind of woo woo new age you know, yoga studio context, which I love and don't poo poo at all, but that's a very specific audience. And most of the people in that audience are looking for it. Whereas, you know, the, the trader, the HR professional, the mom with, or dad with five kids at home that doesn't have much bandwidth for anything other than, you know, what am I going to be doing in the next 10 minutes with these kids? Um, those are the folks that really can benefit from this practice to bring about a greater sense of well-being and to lift it out of, you know, you got to go on a retreat. You have to go in 10 days of silence. You know, you've got to um, study with this specific guru and kind of almost get into this devotional space to, to transition it out of that. I don't think it's appropriating in a negative way, um, cultural, religious, spiritual or philosophical traditions. It's, it's lifting the best of, of these practices and applying it and, and presenting it in a way that makes it accessible, removing some of the, 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 
the barriers of un, unknowingness that a lot of people have. And that to me is the, the brilliance of what chill offers. And it's really what I think Kimberly and I are attempting to do, attempting to do in the teacher training is to empower people from a lot of different walks of life to have a great understanding. They're not, you're not going to know everything about meditation at the end of this, you know, 12 week program, but you're going to know a lot and you're going to have a great context so that no matter who walks into your meditation, whether it be online or in a physical room, if they be 85 or they be eight, you'll have some way of connecting with that practitioner and inviting them to practice so they stay fully engaged. Yeah. I, I have to say, you know, as a person who, you know, my story is that of like, you know, I came from the streets and so, uh, you know, yoga is dumb and all that mindfulness stuff is dumb. And then here I am 10 years later and I'm like, this is the best thing in the whole wide world. <laughs> it's better than drugs. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Even now, com coming into it, some seriously, man. Sometimes when I sit, I go to places where I'm like, "How? Where was I for you know for whatever many minutes I was gone, or you know, however many years it felt like I was gone?" Mindfulness for me has always been the easiest practice for me to do. It's always been yeah. uh, easy and really accessible for me to just sit there and be like, "Okay, I'm just going to watch my breath while everything else you know passes by." And, you know, maybe you can help me out with this because you've studied this, you know, I have this moment a lot in, in meditation where I call it God state basically, but it's kind of like where I'm half asleep and I'm half awake and I could just could care less about anything else going on. Yeah. You know, it's like this, like in, I don't know, it's, it's, what is that? Um, so I think, I mean, you've already described it a little bit that you know it's this different state of awareness or consciousness right where most of us our uh brain is is vibrating or operating i mean they you know they have different alpha gamma beta delta waves that get studied and each one of those different waves have a different level of consciousness or awareness and in meditation what's happening in the brain because a lot of people think that meditation is about like checking out and that to me couldn't, it couldn't be any further from the truth. Like it's about totally checking in. And when we totally check in and we're really, really present, it's, it's such a different state of awareness and consciousness than what we move through most of the day. So when we sit and we're just paying attention to the breath, as you were saying, like maybe with just fundamental, basic, not necessarily easy, but fundamental uh, mindfulness of so paying attention to the breath. And with each breath in and out, the attention is slowly kind of letting go of all of the, the trappings. Um, visually in my mind, I, I'm, a, I'm a, a kid of the 70s and 80s. I grew up, you know, watching lots and lots of cartoons and animation, like becoming more and more real. And I love anime. Um, and so some of it is a little, well, most of it's very apocalyptic, but, um, <laughs> but just these images of like the human consciousness, you know, we, th we think of ourselves being so isolated and detached from the world, but it's almost like every single person, every single interaction that we have, we kind of like connect to that. Right. And there's this little cord or hose 
or whatever you want to call it that that moves outside of us and connects to that person or to that organization or to that situation. And that's neither good nor bad. The challenge is that a lot of times throughout the day, we have hundreds, if not thousands of these little cords out into the world. And that's when people feel kind of scattered. That's when people feel overwhelmed because they're in some level entertaining all of those connections. And when we go into a space of mindfulness, when we go into a space of practicing mindful meditation, with each breath in and out, as we focus more and more on the present moment, we start to like cut those cords or unplug and all of those distractions fall away. And when things get really simplified to the present moment, then the brain moves into this other pattern of awareness and I remember when I first started meditating, I used to sit on the couch with my legs crossed and I would, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes in, I would all of a sudden feel like I was floating. Like I was no longer um, horizontal on the couch. I was like tilting vertical where my, my bottom was paint was like turned towards the wall. And I really was like, Oh my God, dude, am I floating? And I would open up an eye. <laughs> it's just a weird like view, a viewpoint. But I realized the more and more I did that, that that was one of the ways in which we base so much of our reality on what we see with our eyes. So you don't have to close your eyes when you meditate, but when you do it, it's one of the, the really like direct ways that we cut some of those cords that we let go of some of the trappings of our external condition and when we have this internal awareness it becomes more than a two-dimensional experience it becomes multi-dimensional and that to me is what you know you would call like the zen time the god moment the floating um and most of us experience that i think right before we fall asleep it's very similar in terms of the activation of the brain waves and what's going on there. But in meditation, the goal is to not go into that uh, pattern of sleep um, in, our, in our neurology. We stay just above it and alert and awake. And it's kind of fun to play there, right? A lot of us experience that, I think, right before we wake up and our dreams are really vivid. We almost feel like we can control them. And that's that sweet spot that a lot of people try to land and play in, in meditation, where the reality is not just based upon, you know, the time of day, the day of the week, the month of the year, um, you know, the, the weather pattern that may be moving through. There's also this internal world that's really quite vast. Um, and to play around there is cool. And it feels otherworldly. It feels godly. It feels um, transcendent, uh, which is a word that gets used a lot in meditation because we do lift above kind of the, the regular mundane conditions that we're always operating in. And to me, that's one of the gifts of regular practice, regardless of what style it may be, is to unplug from the regular habitual movements of thought, action, and behavior, it does something to shift our neurology in terms of the actual brain science behind this. But when we shift that awareness, as we just talked about this past week in teacher training, is that where our attention, our attention is placed and how we place our attention upon uh, the conditions of our world is really what determines our experience. 
We think it's based upon what we're looking at, but it's the fact that we've turned our attention to, uh, you know, CNN. It's not the fact of what CNN has to say. CNN is always going to be giving some sort of story of sensationalism. The fact that we've turned our attention to it is, you know, partly dictating the experience. And then how we bring our attention to it. Are we bringing our attention to it in a space of fear? Are we bringing it into a space of just awareness and wanting to see what the world is doing and thinking? That is where most of us are are kind of locked. And for those of us who practice meditation regularly, not only in the experience of meditating, but the more and more we practice it, we start to carry this heightened sense of awareness or deepened sense of awareness off of the meditation cushion, so to speak, into the regular activities of our lives. And the activities don't change, but our relationship to it does. And that's why I think it's such a great wellness practice. It's such a great exercise to engage in every single day whether we're in Corona or not, to help manage the mind's ability to cope and uh, be with the highs and lows of our life. And most of the world is trained to numb um, dealing with things as opposed to powerfully standing with it and, and having some sort of choice as opposed to a reaction um, that can just you know, perpetually put us into this cycle and spin where it's almost like, you know, the, it gets overused as an, as an image, but that hamster wheel where we're just running and running and running and running and we're not going anywhere. We're not really doing anything. One of the things that I picked up, uh, I mean, first off, so much, so many things that you just said, there are like golden nuggets, like your relationship with things is really important. I remember last week or maybe it was the week before we were talking about sleep specifically and like how, you know, before you go to bed and you have all the thoughts mm. and I actually, believe it or not, like I, did, I didn't share this with the group. First, first this thought, I don't know if you remember, saw me on Tuesday, but I literally could not type fast enough. I was like, everyone slow, slow down. I'm just taking so many notes. Um, and, uh, and then I ended up doing like this, you know, this meditation you know, earlier on in the day, I, and I did it on Instagram based on what I had learned. And it was, it was a, the whole different experience in itself. We can get into that. But I have been, you know, my stress level has been a lot higher. We're all stressed out right now. You know what I mean? But it, it, specifically, I've had a couple of things going on. There's some shifts. I might be moving and things like that. And so keeping up at night has been, I'm, I'm like winning at that. I'm doing a really great job at not sleeping right now. Okay. And, uh, and what I've actually been doing is while I'm sitting there, laying there, I should say, and I have this whole, you know, story, the real, you know, it's like the movie is just playing at like double time. But I started to do the thing that we talked about in class where I was like, hold on, wait, let me stop paying attention to that. Let me just pay attention to my breath. And I kid you not, Daryl, it's like instant sleep. It's like when yeah. I stop thinking about like, oh, I got to do this. And maybe I got to move and maybe I need yeah. a bigger space and maybe blah, 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 blah. And I have homework to do, blah, whatever it is. I, I, I've, I've laid there and just been like, let me just pay attention to my breath really quick because that's right here. That's right now. And that's pretty slow. It's not as fast as everything else going on. And sleep has been a way more attainable goal than not. Nice. The stuff I works. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's so, um, that story is such a, a, a great example, testimony however you want to phrase it, to why this works and how it works, 
right? There's this idea and belief that all of us hold, and I include myself in this. I'm in no way above any of this this human behavior because I am a part of this thing we call the human race, where we think we that, that in order for us to live a better life, solve the world's problems, we have to constantly think about stuff, right? And some, I mean, how many times do you hear people say, you know, it could be as simple as, do you want to go out to dinner next week or not? I don't know. I got to think about it. It's like, what is there to think about? Do you want to do it or not? You know what I mean? Sure. There's always things to, you know, weigh in on and there's schedules and all of those things. But we do that with so much in our, in our world. And I think the right before sleep or in sleep um, is where a lot of people find themselves in that space of, oh my gosh, I got to think about this stuff. But a lot of times we don't have all the information we need. And what are you going to do in bed to actually, you know, do something unless you get up and leave sleep and go out and start, you know, knocking on doors and like, where, you know, are you guys renting your space and it's two in the morning? Like that's not an appropriate time to go look for an apartment uh, um, or workspace, whatever it may be. And the simplicity of like focusing on something in the present moment I mean, that was the thing that John Kabat-Zinn really, I feel, just so brilliantly, I mean, it brought forward, you know, as a psychologist into the clinical world of, wow, the brain is constantly firing and, and activating all of these ideas, trying to make sense of the world. And, you know, from the Buddhist standpoint, that's the suffering, right? When we try to assign meaning to everything, that's when we suffered. Well, why did they say that to me? And, you know, that's not a bad question to ask. But if you're kind of like spinning in that question for a week, uh, that can be, you know, kind of kind of shitty. Maybe there isn't that much to think about, but yeah. we, you know, but we, we make it into something. And, and I know for myself... I have an easy time falling asleep, but sometimes I'll get up at like three or four in the morning and it's like, holy crap, the horses are out of the gate, you know, and I still have two or three hours left to sleep and I may have like a really full day in front of me and it's like, oh, so then I can get into this weird rut of like, you need to go, you need to fall back asleep. You've got to fall back asleep. You don't fall asleep. <laughs> You're supposed to be this mindful guy that's always super chill and rested. And oh my God, why, why, why are you thinking about this right now? It's four o'clock in the morning. And I'll just get onto that. You know, I'm just running. It's like I've had nine cups of coffee, but I did. Um, and that turning attention to the present moment that John Kabat's in, you know, paying attention to the present moment on purpose. Like when our mind is wandering, there isn't much purpose to it, it's just wandering. But when we focus on something as simple as the breath, we are really in purpose. We are intentionally doing something. And all of a sudden, the other stuff that's so sexy and so uh, alluring to us, it doesn't go away. It doesn't necessarily get solved. But in that moment, there's that anti-inflammatory response of the hyperactive mind that is just what we need, you know, whether it's to fall back asleep, whether it's to just step away from the edge of freak out um, to stop, you know, making a phone call to someone that's going to be completely nasty and inappropriate, whatever we may be facing. Um, but yeah, in terms of sleep, it, it, it's, it's huge. You know, one of the questions that a lot of people ask when I do um, 
any sort of teaching, but especially in the more corporate setting, everyone wants to perform right. You know, I mean, it, type A is very, very big in the corporate world. They're like, well, what's the best time of minute? You know, what can I optimize this practice? And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, how do I, mean, I win? How do I win at meditation? Right, exactly. <laughs> right. I want the gold star in meditating. <laughs> if you think about meditating and all, you feel compelled to do it, then that's the right time. Daryl, I got to tell you, I feel personally attacked right now with that statement. <laughs> I, I feel seen and attacked all at the same time. I'm confused, dude. I can only say it because I know it so well. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to, there's something to be said for meditating in the morning and in the evening to think about it as, um, and this to me is where it, again, doesn't have to be spiritual, but the idea of ritual is a, such an important thing in our life. And most of us in the modern world don't have a whole lot of regular ritual. Um, and, and when I mean ritual, it doesn't mean that you have to like, you know, have a, 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 a copper goblet, you know, with some special thing in it. It's just, you know, the, one of the rituals that most of us engage in every single day is brushing our teeth, right? It's this ritual of opening the day and a ritual of closing the day. And that is a very physical, tactile, biological thing that we do. And there's reason behind it. And we don't question it much. But when it comes to our mind, our attention, our neurology, I think the world needs a little bit more ritual around the activity of the mind and how we um, allow it to be. And meditation at the beginning of the day, it allows us to open up with a little bit of intention as opposed to just rushing into our day and starting to go down the laundry list of schedules. It gives us that pause just before, uh, like a scientist, before going into the laboratory to experiment. Before we go into the laboratory of our life of that day, what if we pause for a moment and really let the Venn diagram of our attention go, oh, I'm not only a husband, I'm a teacher, I'm a son. Um, I'm an American, I'm whatever the things may be, and I allow all of those to kind of fuse together. And from that, welcome some unique intention or purpose for your day to uh, go with you. And then at the end of the day, back to that idea of sleep, back to that idea of getting into that Zen God floaty space of allowing the practice to help you um, unplug from all of the things that have been stimulating you through the day. Because if we don't, which happens to most of us, our mind stays in that racing space and either it doesn't allow us to go to sleep or as we fall asleep, the mind's still trying to figure out and solve the world's problems. And we wake up at three in the morning and we're like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think another thing that people forget too is, you know, sleep is for a couple of things. It's for the body to, uh, it's for the body to rest, but it's also where memory is, is created, right? It's where things are stored from the day. So to be able to, I learned this from, from a teacher actually, um, in India, but you know, to be able to meditate before bed is a way of dumping all the excess crap out of your head that you don't need to store. Yeah. It's literally getting it out so that you're not only resting your body at the end of the night, but resting your mind at the end of the night. Mm -hmm. You know, what's good to do in terms of it being really practical, because sometimes people, you know, I, I think especially when they first start meditating, the hardest thing is the fact that there's so many thoughts that we're not aware of because we are, you know, kind of. Um, the mind naturally excludes so that it can, 
you know, focus to the best of its ability or, or more importantly, to avoid pain. So at the end of the day to meditate, sometimes people are like, are you kidding me? I'll never go to sleep. Like, I don't want to think about all those thoughts. Um, <laughs> so sometimes what I will do when I can't handle it, I will literally do a brain dump where I just, I'll sit in meditation and I'll have a piece of paper and pen or pencil with me. And just as stuff comes in, I just write it down. And it's, it's, it's a visceral dumping, releasing, letting go, cutting the cord, uh, unplugging. It's like, oh, I can pick up all this stuff tomorrow morning. It will literally be on a page where I won't have to forget or think that I might forget something. And my mind will oh, now you can let go. Now you can actually, you know, relax. Now you can actually be present with, you know, your family, friends or whomever and, and, and have an evening. Um, but and yeah, yourself. that brain dump <laughs> is huge. Whether, whether it's, yeah, whether it's physical writing or just a, an opportunity to, to kind of let go of that stuff. Yeah. All right, Daryl. Well, it wouldn't be an episode. I have a question for you. Meditation. Oh, <laughs> go. Just re re really quick. What do you, you know, whether it's associated to the chill teacher training program or just in your personal experience, what do you feel like is like the, the crux? What is the thing that if you had, you know, two seconds, which you do right now, and you're like, this is what you have to know. I want the world to know about meditation and how it can support them. What is it? I keep coming back to this answer with almost everything that I teach these days. And it's the agency of choice. Yeah. Every single, like, you know, yoga, I, you know, it's taken me a really long time. You know, I started off as I called myself a yoga bro for a really long time, but you know, as I, I never thought I would be doing any of this crap. Are you kidding? Like, I never thought I was going to go like, I want to go study in India and go straight to the well. And like, I really want to understand what the spirituality stuff is about. No, I wanted to move my body and do cool party tricks. That's right. what I was about. T totally. Like, <laughs> you know, lo low key, not so low key. It's all I wanted to do. And now, you know, as I, as I see myself moving into the seat of a teacher in the sense that my studentship right now is the most important thing to me. And I want to go deep. I mean, I want to go to the Vedas. I want to go into like, you know, I want to go, I want to go there. I want to go. I changed the podcast name to Seeker and Sage, you know, that says it all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and what I'm starting to realize is along, I, I never thought that I was teaching philosophy in yoga. I never thought that I was teaching any of the things in yoga. I thought I was just teaching party tricks and fun stuff. And what I realized is actually, no, I've been doing that the entire time to teach someone the articulation of a joint, to teach someone to stop, shut up, and pay attention to the smallest nuance of your hand turning outwards, that's mindfulness. Mm -hmm. that, that gives you the agency of shutting everything off, tuning in, and having that freedom. And that choice is yours. And we forget that we have that choice because we have, I mean, specifically now we have everything in life going on compounded with Corona, mm -hmm. you know, compounded with wildfires and da, 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 Yeah. So what I think, you know, for me, the biggest takeaway is that, you know, we have this innate wisdom that lives within every single one of us. You know, we go out to ask for advice and we, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, 
it's inside. We, we have an opportunity to get quiet enough to trust yeah. because it's in there. Uh, and that's what, you know, that's what I, I don't know. That's for me, what, what the most important part is, is, you know, I don't have to second guess as much as I used to. Yeah. I don't have to like go and ask 50 million people, you know, what I think, what they, what I think, you know, I should do based on their, you know, decisions or, or, you know, their experiences in life. I can really just tune in and, and figure out where I'm at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. it. All right, man. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be like I was saying a, a meditation episode without you guiding us through a little mini meditation. So let's, let's close with like a two minutes, Daryl Jones, greatest hits. All right, here we go. <laughs> so wherever you may be listening to this podcast, invite yourself to pause. Even if you're walking down the street, listening to it and, and headphones, just stop where you are. Let your eyes be opened or closed. The choice is yours. Take the slowest, most exaggerated breath in through your nose. And as you exhale, whether you're seated or standing, feel your feet on the floor, pressed inside your shoes, whatever the skin of your feet may be touching. And imagine your attention being anchored there. Not your thinking, your attention. And then slowly from the feet, float your attention up through the legs, past the hips, the abdominal wall, the pelvis, the lower back, through the chest, and pause at the heart. Most of us spend the day above the neckline. That is where we experience life. For the next few breaths, what would it be like like to experience your being right now through your heart, a heart of kindness, compassion, understanding, gentleness. Welcome a slow breath. Imagine you're breathing in at the heart space, exhaling through the heart. Feeling the heart as you inhale. Feeling the heart as you exhale. And with this next breath in and out, imagine that the heart can smile and allow a soft smile to grace your heart as you breathe in. And as you exhale, welcoming Stillness with the eyes opened or closed. Notice how you feel in body, in mind, in emotion. Not that there should be anything that you ought to feel. Just acknowledging what is here. One final breath in. And as you exhale, opening your eyes, lifting your attention up back out into your day. And before you move too much, is there an intention, a purpose that you can carry forward from this practice? Maybe it's calm, hope, understanding, peace, love, 
Whatever answer immediately comes to you, let it be enough. And now the practice is to carry that into the rest of your day. Thank you so much, Danny, for this time and for this practice and this opportunity to be together. Thanks, Daryl, man. I can't wait for our uh, our next session uh, to see what I can, what else I'm going to learn. I'm sure I'm probably going to have like a, I call them like bursts of illumination. I'm sure it's going to happen for sure. <laughs> well, until the next Seeker and Sage, this is Daryl and Danny saying peace out. Peace out. Peace out.